Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. We are looking uh, at this series called Ruined, okay, which sounds a little depressing, I have to be honest. Um, And some of you are thinking, oh, great, you know, we're doing this series called Ruined. Um, But, you know, that's what we're looking at. Thanks, mate. Isn't it great? Let's give it up for Sean on the keys there, background, all right? And have you, have, you ever, have you ever come to a point in your life where you've said, it's ruined? Anyone ever done that? In fact, I was thinking about this, and when, when Alice and I were first married, not that that was the ruin at all, uh, we, we, were, we, 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 um, we didn't have kids, and we th- we'll have some people around for dinner, because that's what you do now, you're married, and you've got a house. Do you know what I mean? And we had these people around for dinner, and, and we were new to this whole dinner kind of thing, okay? And uh, this was back a little bit when fondues were in. Anyone remember fondues? Come on, bring the fondue back. Hashtag bring the fondue back. And so if you don't even know what a fondue is, all the meat and stuff is all laid out. We used to love fondues. And then the oil, you're heating the oil. I mean, it's really not healthy. You're, you're heating the oil, uh, and you're putting the meat in. So everything's all laid out, and we'd run out of meths. And you needed methylated spirits, okay? And so we run out of meths. And we got people coming, and, and we was panicking, panicking. And I'm like, right, I've got to get some meths. I've got to get some meths, which makes me sound really strange. But so I'm, I'm going to the corner shop, no meths. And so I literally get in my car, I drive to some friends of ours who were Salvation Army officers, so they didn't drink alcohol, okay? But he was my best man. So I knock on the door. They'd got friends from their church around. I literally burst in and said, we need meths, we need meths. Give me meths. To which... They gave me some meths and you could see these people sitting there thinking, he's got some problems, that one there. So I got the meths and got back and I thought, oh, I've just saved it, it's not been ruined. And we dropped the dessert on the floor. But it's all right, three second rule. It went back on the plate. They never knew the difference. But you've probably had all moments like that when you think the evening is ruined or the shirt is ruined or that manager has ruined my football team. We won't go there, we won't go there. And you've probably all thought it's ruined. The relationship's ruined. My life's ruined. And when you think about the word ruined, it feels so final and so fatal, right? Because the dictionary defines ruined as this, reduced to a state of decay, collapse or disintegration, irreparably damaged or harmed. Irreparably damaged or harmed. I wonder how many of us in this season, as we come out this last two and a half years, look around at our life and look around uh, around us and feel that so much of life feels ruined, irreparably harmed or damaged. Irreparably, not so with God. Hello? Not so with God. You see, God is a God who loves to restore what's ruined. He's a God who loves to renew. He's a God who loves to rebuild. In fact, He can do it with a life. He can do it with a marriage. He can do it with a family. He can do it with a business. He can do it with a church. He can do it with a community. He can do it with a nation. And in fact, God often does His best work in our worst places. And so I don't know what's your worst place right now in your life. And you might look in it and you think, oh, it's like like the dessert that's hit the floor and it's ruined. And you think it's irreparably damaged or harmed. Not so with God. God is a God who loves to restore, renew and rebuild. And we're calling today, when God restores. Because in my heart, I really believe that God wants to restore so much into our life. For some of us, He wants to restore the joy of our salvation. 
David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. For some of us, he wants to restore hope in the future. We can't think about a future, a positive future, because life feels so ruined and God wants to restore. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at an Old Testament character. And I'm going to go a little deep into this in midweeks, okay? And I'll tell you about that in a little, in a little moment. But we're going to just dive into this story from the Old Testament. And I'm going to need to give you a little bit of background. So we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 1. This is the character. Some of you who are maybe newer to faith, newer to Christianity, you're thinking, who on earth is Nehemiah? I'll hopefully give you enough information that you can track with us. So this is chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. So, so just, let me just kind of locate the GPS here a little bit for you, okay? So Nehemiah is a Jew who's taken into captivity in Babylon, okay? And it's the month of Kislev, which is the Gregorian calendar. So it's November, December time. So it's kind of like the start of winter. And yet they used to call Kislev uh, the month of dreams, which is really interesting. So in the hard time of winter, it's actually the month of dreams. He's in Susa, which is the capital of Persia, modern day Iran. But why is he there? Well, you know, if you ever watch a box set, okay, and the season two, all right, it'll always give you a little recap of season one. So I'm going to give you a little recap, okay? So I'm going to go shoot, shoot back hundreds of years. Israel, okay, God wants Israel not to rely on humans, but only to have God as their leader. But they're human and they wanted a king. So God gave them a king called Saul, who was pretty useless. And then Saul ended up off the scene and then God chose another guy called David, a man after God's own heart. And he was a great king. Uh, and he led them into their golden era and his son Solomon built the temple and he started so well and yet finished so badly, which is a reminder. And a guy called Andy Stanley said this, which is powerful, your final moment can erase your finest moment. And we've seen that with leaders all across the world in this season. That's what happened with Solomon. And then after Solomon... His sons and the, other, and the other kind of kings that came after him were a train wreck after train wreck. And so much so that the nation of Israel divided into tribes. In the north, those tribes were taken into captivity in Assyria. And in the south, that tribe of Judah was taken into captivity into Babylon, okay? And there were th around 597 BC. And there were three big deportations of people. The first one was the cream of the nation, including people like Daniel, who you'll have heard of. The second one was the craftsmen and the women, including people like Ezekiel. And the third deportation was the rest. Now, some people weren't deported. They stayed in Jerusalem. But Nehemiah was one of the young Jews who was deported and he was in um, Babylon, but he ended up in this city called Susa. And he had a high up, position, he was cupbearer to the king. He was like, a, he basically tasted the wine before the king got it in case anyone was going to poison him. That's a great job, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? I'll taste the wine before I get poisoned. Great. But that was his job. It was a really important job. And while he was there, his homeland of Jerusalem got ruined, got ruined. And um, this is where we're going to pick up the story. I mean, what has all this got to do with us? Are we living in exile in another land? Is our community ruined? I mean, the Bible talks about the gates were burnt down and, and, the, and the, wall, the walls were broken down, the gates were burnt with fire. In some ways, we're not. And in some ways, we really are. And I don't, I don't want to get depressing with you at the first Sunday in September. But I do think we need to look around at what is happening in our world right now. 
And I've been on the planet long enough to know that there are seasons and cycles and some things are, not the, are always the same and some things are very different. And I think we're living in very broken down, disturbing times right now. And I think that when we look at our world, which is kind of divided and anxious and uncertain, God wants to restore. But He doesn't want to just restore back to what was. He wants to restore forward to what could be and what should be. And you see, many of us, and if you're a Christian, many of us, we talk about the good old days. Anyone talk, find themselves talking about the good old days? Or when it, and of course, the good old days weren't all that good, were they? But we remember them like that. I don't think God wants to restore us back to the good old days. He wants to restore to us what could be and what should be. He wants us to reimagine the future. And I love what this guy called Burke said. He said this, when your memories are more exciting than your dreams, you've begun to die. And I want to hope and pray that as I get older, my dreams are more exciting than my memories. I don't just want to just remember to the good old days. I want to dream about what God could do in the future. And if you want to restore, if you want God to restore something in your life, if you want God to use you to restore something around you, there are some keys from this first chapter of Nehemiah, which I think are really important. And I want to just track through those with you today. So number one, you've got to be willing to ask the question. You've got to be willing to ask the question. Look at what Nehemiah does. It says this, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah. So that's home, okay? came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. In other words, remnant means the ones that were left behind, that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is asking them about two things. He's asking them about the place and he's asking them about the people. So how are the people doing and how's the place doing? So what's going on in the people and what's going on in the place? He cares enough to ask the question, how is it going really? Have you ever had a situation where you've wanted to ask someone how they are, but you don't really want to ask them? Do you know what I mean? Because if you ask them how they are really, and they really tell you, you're going to be in trouble then, aren't you? Because you you can't, and, and this is what Nehemiah cares enough. And when God restores, God works on the inside so that we care enough to ask the question. And he wants to hear the answer. And I want to say, ignorance is not bliss. And I wonder how many people in our community are desperate for someone to ask, how are you doing really? How are you doing really? I wonder how how many of us can, you know, we walk past people every day of our life, don't we? When when we could ask them how they're doing and and they, they could say, and we just move on. Or we could stop and ask them, how are you doing really? And where we then care enough to ask the second question, because when they've said the first response, many of us say, well, that's that. I've done that then. I've ticked that off my list. But if we really care about people around us, I wonder if we're willing to ask the question really. You see, for most people, being listened to and being loved are virtually indistinguishable. Just listening to people is like loving people. And I think we desperately need that in our community. But then number two, not just asking the question, but being willing to listen to the answers. Because sometimes we ask the question, how is it really? But we really don't want to know. And look at what it said. They, they said to me in the next verse, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. 
Now, this doesn't mean anything much to us, okay? But it means a lot to Nehemiah. It means a lot in the context because gates and walls are really important. Gates are the points of entry and exit into the city. All right, so this is really important. And they would have a watchman over the gates because in and out of the city, this is really crucial. Who you let in and who you let out is, is, is crucial to your welfare as a community. And then the walls are really important because the strength of the walls isn't just about the strength of the city. It's about the strength of the God in which you put your trust. That's what it means in the Old Testament. And so in other words, if the walls are broken down and the gates are burnt with fire, what we're saying is not only is the city vulnerable, but the God that we put our trust in is not on the job. So Nehemiah hears the place is in a mess, the people are in a mess, and God's name is in disgrace. And something is starting to burn on the inside of him. He's asking the question, what's going on in the people and what's going on in the place really? So let's take a little moment. What's going on in our community, guys? And I'm talking to you and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to call something out of us as a church. What's going on in our communities right now, really? And I started to think about this and, and without any thought at all, these things just rattled out. Firstly, we have a mental health crisis, right? I think we all know that. In fact, I was looking at some research on the NHS and, and, and if you work in the NHS, our hearts go out to you. We know this is in no way an indictment on you guys who are working so hard in incredibly difficult and ridiculous circumstances. But right now, under 16s, they reckon under 16s, one in six has a mental health crisis or, or, or need situation. One and a half million under 18s are waiting uh, for some help and intervention as a direct result of the COVID crisis. The NHS are treating a record 428,000 a month, which is a shortfall of 1.1 million, million, which is, which is un unreal, isn't it? But not only a mental health crisis, but we have a cost of living crisis as we're facing up to that in the winter and all of that. And again, I was staggered when I looked at this. The richest 1% of the population own more than the rest of the world combined. Can't get my head around that. The richest 1% own more than the rest of the world combined. You know, 26 people, individual people, own more than half of the world's population combined. Can't get my head around that. And you and I are facing a cost of living crisis. We're facing a unity crisis as well. There's so much polarisation. There's so much division inside the church and definitely outside the church as well. We're facing a political crisis. You know, politics is the art of the possible, but faith is the art of the impossible. But we're facing a political crisis. We're facing a family crisis for the first time ever. And this is in no way an indictment on any of you, okay, uh, if this is your situation. But for the first time ever, more children have been born outside of marriage than inside of marriage. That's the first time in our history this year. We're facing crisis everywhere we look. A confidence crisis. The Prince's Trust, um, which work with young people, brilliant organisation, they did some research recently where they reckon that over half young people have now lost their confidence as a direct result of the COVID crisis. We face a confidence crisis and we face a hope crisis as well. And you might think, flipping it, this is really depressing. But there's a key word that keeps coming up. What's the word? Crisis, right? It's a crisis. And there's this kind of crisis mentality and this crisis situation. And that's what Nehemiah experienced when he cared enough to ask the question, the people and the place were in crisis. But listen, 
Listen, this is not depressing because when you look at it in reality, it's depressing if you don't have anyone you can go to. And you might think, well, well, Leon, you're being very pessimistic and I'm more of an optimist. I don't care whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. That makes no difference whatsoever. Your optimism or your pessimism will change nothing. I love what Leslie Newbigin said, who's a famous uh, Christian writer. I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Amen. You see, the reality is it doesn't matter whether you're a half glass person, half full glass person or a half empty. That's irrelevant. The important thing isn't your optimism or your pessimism. The important thing is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that's our confidence and that's our hope. And that's why we can reimagine the future. And that's why we can say, God, in my life, in our lives and in our communities, we believe that you can do something new. Amen. We believe not because of our optimism, not because of our pessimism, but because you have risen from the dead. But you know, it's not just enough to be willing to ask the question or willing to listen to the answer because number three, Nehemiah, is willing to sit with God long enough. Look at what happens next in in Nehemiah chapter one. When I heard these things, so when he heard about the walls and the people and his community, in other words, he heard about all the crises that were going on that we've just heard about. I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In other words, he went somewhere with what he was feeling. He allowed it to hit his heart and he sat with God long enough for God to do something in him. He mourned, he fasted, he prayed and so must we. If we really want to see restoration, guys, if we want to see renewal, if we want to see God rebuild things in our lives and in our communities, we have to be willing to sit with God long enough. And so in the next few weeks, we want to open up some opportunities for us as a community, as a communities of church and people to sit with God long enough. And that's, and it looks like this, okay? It's not just a programme, but every Sunday, we're going to be diving into this the next few weeks. Tuesday, this Tuesday, we've got Life Central Midweek. Every Wednesday, 7.30 in the morning on Facebook Live on our online community. I'll be doing a Facebook Live 7.30 in the morning. You can watch it live and ask questions or you can watch it later. We'll be just digging a little deeper into this. Connect groups that will start to meet again regularly in September. Monday the 12th of September. I know that now clashes with the funeral day, but there's nothing we can do about that. But we're going to have a day of prayer and fasting. We're going to do some what we call upper Zooms. So we'll send out Zoom link for some prayer, 7am in the morning, 7pm in the evening, some worship around 12 noon. Opportunities for us as a community just to sit with God long enough for God to touch our hearts. In fact, on Tuesday night at Life Central Midweek, we'll be taking communion together and we'll be looking at the prayer that Nehemiah prays. I haven't got time to look at it this morning. We'll look at it on Tuesday because it's such a powerful prayer. And I believe that God is going to use that Maybe to do some work on the inside of some of us. Maybe we've lost some stuff. Maybe during this season, we've lost some things that God wants to restore to us. You know, I'm meeting people all the time who've lost that joy, who've lost that confidence, who've lost that hope. And I believe that God is a God who wants to restore. But we have to be willing to sit with God long enough. You see, when Nehemiah sat with God long enough, God ruined Nehemiah and he ruined him in a good way because he gave him a vision of what he could do in him and through him. And I wonder whether some of us need to get ruined by God again. You know, I was, I was reading just yesterday that, in fact, it wasn't on my notes originally, but D.L. Moody was a famous American evangelist in Chicago. And uh, he preached one, one Sunday and um, 
As he was preaching, news came that there was a fire that started in the city. And so he, he finished the service and he said to everyone, go home and check your families, make sure everything's all right and I'll see you next week. Unfortunately, next week came, D.L. Moody came, but many of the people didn't come because they were killed in the fire. And God ruined him in that moment. And from that moment on, D.L. Moody never ever finished a sermon without saying to everyone in the room, are you right with God before you leave? Because that experience where he said, hey, I'll see you next week, go home and check on your families. And when he came next week, there were loads of people who weren't there because they'd been taken. And so from that moment, he got ruined and he said, I'm never ever going to speak to a group of people again without giving them an opportunity to get right with God. And I've been to places and situations, and I know many of you have, I've been and sat in, in real poverty and real pain and, and, and it touched me, but it didn't ruin me. And then I've been in other situations where something's happened and I've felt ruined by the presence of God. Anyone know what I mean? And it's like, I can't go back. I can't go back. I can't just go back to life as normal. I can't just go back to living comfortable. I need to do something with my one and only life. And that's when God touches your heart and gives you a vision for something bigger and something better. And then number four, you see that being willing to ask the questions, great. And listen to the answers is great. And sitting with God long enough is great. But there comes a moment, and we'll look at this more in future weeks, where you've got to be willing to stand up and take action. You've got to be willing to do something. Now, many of us, we want to get to there straight away. But actually, I think the other things, asking the question, listening to the answers, sitting with God long enough, letting God do something on the inside is so important. And then be willing to stand up and take action. So let's see what happens to Nehemiah. In the month of Nisan, now this is the springtime now, okay? So Kislev is November, December. This is January, February, even into March. So this is the spring. This is several weeks later. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? Now, let me just say the significance of this, all right? We won't understand this. If you're sad in the presence of a king in Bible days, you're going to get your head taken off because this is offensive to the king. All right. So Nehemiah is so moved by what God's doing on the inside of him that he's risking his life. He's risking his life for something bigger and better. This can be nothing, the king said, but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. And he was afraid because of what I've just told you. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. So like, don't chop my head off, okay? Is what he's basically saying there, all right? Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Listen, guys, I know that not all of you will say you're followers of Jesus, but if you are a follower of Jesus, how can we not be moved when our community is in such a mess? How can we not be moved when our young people are in such a mess? How can we, and I know they're not all, I know that, but there's so much difficulty and anxiety and uncertainty. How can we not be a little sad so much so that it moves us to want to do something about it? And, and, and Nissan is this month of spring, of new beginnings, and of restoring hope and reimagining the future. And Nehemiah has the courage to go and do something about it. And do you know what? Courage is not the absence of fear. It's what you do with your fear, isn't it? 
And I love this quote from a guy called Benjamin Mee, and they used it in the film, uh, We Bought a Zoo, if you've ever seen that film. I love it. You've heard me say it before. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. So maybe just to ask somebody, how are you really? Or to say, can I help you? Can I do something for you? That could take 20 seconds, but it could change somebody's life. It could bring some hope and some restoration into somebody's life. And then the king asks a question that I want to land on today, okay? Because I think this is the question that God is asking every single one of us. And if you're in one of our locations, in your community, right where you are, in Hagley or Rowley or Bromsgrove or Clibbury or wherever you come from, God is asking us, each of us, I believe, this question in verse 4. What is it you want? See, the king asked Nehemiah the question, what is it you want? You've come to me sad. Maybe you've sat with God and, and something's going on. What is it you want? And to open this question up again, I thought I'd go back a little bit in time to some of the greatest lyricists that we've ever known. These girls here, all right? Some of you don't even know who they were, do you? I mean, the depth of their material is phenomenal. I don't know why you're laughing, because I'm very moved, all right, by this. Because you see, when, when they ask the question, what is it you want? Do you know how they reply? I'll tell you what I want. I don't know why you're laughing. This is so moving to me. Let, let, let me just, I mean, this is Shakespeare. What I really, really want. So tell me what you want. What you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want. What I really, really want. Well, tell me what you want. What I really, really want. I want a ha. I want a ha. I want a ha. I want a ha. I want a really, really, really want a Zigga zigga. I mean, it's so deep, isn't it? It's so deep. It's just profound. Let me ask you some questions as we finish. What do you really want? What do you really want with your one and only life? I'm, uh, uh, you know, sometimes people come along and they really affect you. And Ruth, who's passed away, has really touched my heart and life. And two years ago, I was in India with her. Seven on a mission trip. Some of you went to Albania with her. We're absolutely heartbroken that she's no longer with us. But in the five or six years we knew her, she lit up so many people's lives. I want to live like that. I want to make a difference, don't you? I don't know how long God will give me, okay? And in the light of eternity, a few years is like that, isn't it? 80 years is like that. 100 years is like that. What do you really want? We can coast through life just looking out for ourselves and living comfortable lives. Or we can say, God, would you ruin us? Would you ruin us for something worthwhile? Something worth living for? Something worth dying for? What do you really, really want? And then there's another follow-up question. What do you need God to begin to restore in you? Maybe today you need God to begin to restore in you a little bit of hope. Or maybe that joy of your salvation. Or maybe just that sense that there's a future for you. Because you can't imagine a future for you right now. All you see is ruins. All you see is ashes. All you see is emptiness. All you see is decay and disintegration. And it feels irreparably damaged or harmed. But not so with God. And there's one more question. What are you willing to do to get it? Seven years ago, last weekend... I'd come back from South Africa. 
I was uh, lying in my bed, uh, you know, recovering from traveling and all of that. And my wife shook me and woke me up at five o'clock in the morning saying, the church is on fire, the church is on fire. And being Pentecostal, I thought, hallelujah, about time. And then she went, no, 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 really on fire. Like fire engines are there. And I got my clothes on, which is, I'm glad I did that, and came over to church and there were eight fire engines outside our old church building and flames shooting out. And a whole load of OM students, overseas young people had travelled the night before and gone to bed in their pyjamas, okay? And they just travelled to England and they were all lined up on the car park looking like rabbits in the headlight. And I walked into that building a few hours later and it was not only damaged, it was destroyed on the inside. Seven years ago, last weekend. And I remember at the time thinking, well, this is ruined, isn't it? And all of the things that we were hoping and dreaming and planning to do felt ruined. But God is the God of restoration, isn't he? And today, and so I'm so choked up to look at the camera and say, I had no idea that we would be in so many different locations, reaching people, connecting with people, helping people find and follow Jesus. That's because God is a God who restores. And God is a God who can take something out of the ruins and the ashes of your life and my life and build something beautiful. I know that there's some of you here in this room or watching online and you know this is true because you've had this experience happen to you, haven't you? Your marriage has been restored. Your health has been restored. Your joy, your hope has been restored. But there will be many of us right now where that's not the case. But God can restore. God does restore. God does His best work in our worst places. And I want to pray for you today. And so maybe just close our eyes for a moment and maybe and online as well in our locations. Maybe there's some of us and you know that there's an area of your life and you've already identified it. You know this is the area that you're saying, God, would you restore into this area of my life? That line that sang in that song, what's been stolen? Some of you felt like it's, it's been a theft. It's like a theft, something or someone's been stolen out of your life. And, 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 and God may not be able to restore that person, but He can restore that hope and He can restore that joy again, even if He can't restore what or who was stolen. And if that's you today, I want you just to lift up your hand, just as a way of saying to God, that's me. And I want to pray for you, Holy Spirit, to come and to touch many of our hearts and lives. I know there's so many things in my life that I, I need restoring right now. So my hand's up as well. And if that's you and wherever you are, if you're in a location, just raise your hand, not before me, but before God. Holy Spirit, I wanna pray that you would come and touch every one of us, Lord, today. God, those of us especially who are holding our hands up and I'm one of those. God, where we feel that things have been stolen and taken and God, that's the case. But Lord, you're the God who loves to restore and renew and rebuild. And God, would you do that, I pray. And then Lord, would you use us to be people that help restore and help renew and help rebuild around us. May we be used, God, ruin us for a vision that is bigger than ourselves. Ruin us, Lord, for a vision that is beyond us. God, may we as the church be those people that bring hope and help God, as we move into the autumn and into the winter and all that's coming up, may we as a church be a, a church of people that help to restore and renew and rebuild. God, may we do that, Lord, by Your power and by Your Spirit. So God, we receive from You again today. In Jesus' Name. Amen.